Hello, this is Mary Jo Tinlin from Teaching Your Toddler. Today, our very special guest is Bob Krulish, who is a mental health communication expert, as well as a national speaker for the National Alliance on Mental Illness, as well as the author of the book, When Screams Become Whispers, One Man's Inspiring Victory Over Bipolar Disorder. Welcome, Bob, to the show. Hello, this is Mary Jo Tinlin, and today our guest is Bob Krulish. Welcome to the show, Bob. I'm so excited to have you on the show and talk to us a little bit about mental illness and how to talk to people about it. Tell us a little bit about yourself and about your story. Well, thank you for having me on the show, first of all, and I'm happy to be here. I um, Unique to me, my story is that I lived 35 years before I got diagnosed uh, with bipolar disorder. I went from being symptomatic, probably around 15 or 16 years old, and I didn't get diagnosed or treated for it for 35 years until I was about 51. And so I talk a lot about, and that's what my book, When Screams Become Whispers, is all about, is a journey through that manic bipolar mind and how he thinks and and behaves. And then towards the end, you know, you get the, Yay, he gets out of it. He figures it out and he, you know, triumphs over bipolar disorder. Uh, what I what I do now is I, I work with parents primarily on how to help them identify things that might be going on with their loved one, with their ill child, and then how to talk more effectively with them, how to communicate with them in a in a much more effective way. That's really amazing. I'm reading here in the notes that uh, according to the CDC, one in five people will experience mental illness in a given year. And of course, we've just gotten out of a crazy year that actually Mm -hmm. um, amplified that for a lot of people, right? Um, And so even though a lot of our listeners have really small children that may or that may not be showing signs. Certainly we can help clue them in. So you say that you have four or five warning signs of mental illness. Can you kind of tell us what those look like? Sure. Well, the, the two big ones to really watch out for is if they just have extremes, extreme behavior for their age and gender, you know, just they're on the edge they're they're way outside the edge as far as behavior is concerned or they have sudden hard to explain um behaviors you know like all of a sudden they did well in school and now they're not doing well at all another thing to look out on the depression side this is a big tell is when they lose interest in things they found pleasurable in the past so if they had a hobby or they, you know, something they like to do and all of a sudden they just don't want to do it anymore, that could be a sign. It may mean they outgrew it, but if it's something that they didn't really outgrow, it could be a real sign that they're, they have some early warning signs of depression. If they have um, a lot of impulsivity, it's really hard to tell with with children though, because they're just impulsive by nature. Right. But if they just go in and do things, you know, more often than not, they'll do things where they do them and then they think. That's kind of what I do a lot. 
I lived with, you know, untreated mental bi bi with bipolar disorder, and I can't tell you how many times I jumped before I thought about it. And that's kind of the impulsivity you'll see in somebody that may be having some early warning signs of bipolar disorder. And then if they if they worry about things for a long period of time about the same thing, it's incessant, it's going on all the time. Uh, they seem they can't they can't shake it uh, in the in the doctor's manual for anxiety disorder, for example, they say that for them to be diagnosed with anxiety disorder, they would need to be worried about something for six months or more. So if your child is just obsessed with something, worried about something that's not really age appropriate, uh, that uh, that could be a sign of anxiety, uh, that all of these things would point me to starting to ask questions about about their health and you can go to um, find out some there's plenty of assessment forms online um, there's the children's uniform mental health assessment form there's uh, the checklist assessment form and and what I recommend parents do with that is they just go and Try to answer the questions. These would be something that a clinician would do, but you may just want to be aware of the questions that are going to be asked so that you're aware of the symptoms. Those sound like very helpful assessments. Now, I know that you um, have some association with the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Um, how, how does that work? How, what is your association with that? Yeah, I've been a, a volunteer for the National Alliance on Mental Illness, or we call it NAMI for short, for about six or seven years now. I, I started, they have connection meetings, which are great for parents that might be having somebody struggling, or they might suspect somebody's struggling in their home. These connection groups are, are they're very confidential and private. And, and you would go and meet with other parents who would share similar stories that you might have. And they're facilitated by somebody who's been trained by NAMI to, uh, you know, moderate the conversation. I found those to be very helpful. And then I learned um, some of the stuff I, I don't know if I really wanted to wish I'd learned because it gave me so <laughs> much more work to do. But I learned about a speaker's bureau that they have called In Our Own Voice. And and so what I did is I joined that program and I got to tell my story to high schools, middle schools, elementary schools and the like. And, and a parent might actually hear that their son or daughter might have heard somebody from NAMI come and speak to their to their school. And and then I I got so involved in that program that I became a trainer for the state of Washington on that program and and so on and so on now i'm a board member of my local affiliate and the treasurer i'm wondering where is this going to end <laughs> <laughs> well that sounds like a very helpful thing i know you know one of the things that's 
really important is people understanding that they're not alone. There's other people walking through this with, with, you know, along with them in their own lives. And that, and that as parents can, can commiserate a little bit in those groups that they can hear that this is, this is not a unique problem to them. And that, and then that they can get sort of that cross training with other parents to find out how to help their own children. Right. That's exactly right, Mary Jo. I mean, they get this cross-training, they get that sense of belonging, that they're not alone, that they they start to realize that it's not their parenting skills that's at stake here, that, that it's really um, uh, 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 an illness, and they start to understand the illness, they get better at looking at the signs for the illness. And, and and they may even learn good communication skills around the illness. Oh, wow. So That's I really have, important about, I think, I think stressing the point that it's not their parenting because we all as parents, we just take on so much guilt of like, oh my gosh, what have I done to my kid? Right. And to hear that, to say, it's not you, it's, it's their brain, right? It's this, it's, this is how their brain works. It's really how their brain works. It has to do with things like, uh, dopamine and serotonin and white matter and all kinds of stuff that uh, I would bore your audience to death if I talk <laughs> more about but it's it it it's a it's it's these um these these elements in the brain these these materials dopamine too much dopamine would make them manic and even delusional for example um, and psychotic, uh, too little serotonin would have them be depressed. So it's interesting how on the psychotic side, we take an antipsychotic to actually block the dopamine because we have too much of it. And on the depression side, we take an antidepressant to increase the level of serotonin. So one is a dopamine blocker and the other mm -hmm. one is dopamine and I mean a serotonin enhancer mm -hmm. so it's also not a bad idea to have some general knowledge of of the classes of these medications you'll also find that a lot of times your loved one may have multiple diagnoses like for example in bipolar disorder like I have anxiety disorder you find that 70 percent of the time and you find also a high likelihood of uh, ADHD. And so I'm actually medicated for both of those things along with my bipolar. Wow. Now, this is something that's chilling that I'm looking at the notes and, and I'm seeing that you say we need to be careful what we say because we can actually aggravate the mental illness. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Oh, yeah. I'd love to talk about that. Let me just kind of set this up by by explaining a concept called expressed emotion. And that that doesn't mean like we we think it might mean like, oh, he's very expressive uh, uh, in a good way. It actually means uh, that there's a lot of critical talk, especially around tonality. Uh, you know, it's stuff like, you know, you're you never do anything right. Um, why can't you just be like your brother? or um or the tonality yeah right you you cleaned your room you know and and critical comments like that or hostile 
hostile acts, really, where there's a lot of hostility, like you're a terrible kid, things like that. And then over-involvement of parents. Uh, can Those three things, if you did, those three things would score high on the scale of expressed emotion. Now, the reason it's important to know that or interesting to know that is that researchers found that in households where there's high expressed emotion, even with uh, how, uh, the ill one on medication, 54% of them still get sick and relapse. They're on medication, they're properly medicated, but the high expressed emotion is causing them so much stress, it's exasperating their symptoms and their illness. And the other interesting thing about that is, is that in low expressed emotion households, only 15% of the, of the individuals relapse that weren't even on medication. So you can actually um, influence this by quite a degree by the amount of expressed emotion that's in the home. And that would just be, uh, somebody once called it, when I explained it, they said, you mean just the amount of chaos or the amount of drama? And I said, yeah, I guess it's a little bit like the amount of drama that's in a household. Mm-hmm. Right, because chaos with little kids is typical, right? But it's the right. drama, it's the extra. It. <laughs> yeah. It's the extra drama, the extra critical comments. It's, um, it's a lot of, um, you know, you you're you're trying to get them to do something uh but you may say something like i said before you know why can't you be more like your brother why can't you be more like your sister um why do you it's a lot of why questions that's a good way to know if you're doing it you're going to be asking a lot of why or judgmental questions about their behavior in my practice i have a coaching practice i teach to try to rarely use the word why and try to use the word what like what were you um what what were you hoping for when you um did what you did instead of why did you do it what were your thinking you know along those lines and the why question is really hardly ever judgmental if it's asked properly but the why question is very critical so a lot of why questions. Another thing that is very critical is a lot of shouldn't. You should, you ought to, you must, you need to. And it's that kind of talk that's very directive. Now we do need to use a lot of directive talk when they're little, um, but there, there's a point where it might be better to say things instead of like, you should do this or that, that, you know, you could do this and it might help you uh, with your school or you could do this and it might help you with your friends. So I try to use the word could as often as I can in replace of the word should or must or ought to. 
could and might versus should and must sounds more, it's almost like giving them a choice a little bit more. It seems like when you say why, you're trying to get them to de- to, to deconstruct what their behavior is versus what, which is, it's more like, it's more linear to say, I did this because I want to do this versus I did this and I don't know why, right? Like, it, it, that makes more sense, I think. Yeah, like uh, somebody's like saying, um, you know, they, um, they, they, they want to get a job and they applied on Craigslist and, and, and what a parent might say is, you know, why didn't you just go on LinkedIn? Well, that sounds very judgmental mm-hmm. and it doesn't take into consideration the thought process. So, you know, oh, great. That's a great resource, Craigslist. You know, what else, what else, if anything, were you thinking of in order to apply for a job? Or what other resources do you know about? And then you can say, if they don't know anything, you can say, you know, do you mind if I give you a suggestion? And now we're brainstorming. We're actually, the more I, when I work with parents, I say the more you can sound like an advisor at times than a director you all get along better. Um, and it's really just kind of, hey, what do you already know about that? And then what is your what what steps are you gonna take? And and then you can start to say, you know, an idea that I have, this is for older kids obviously, is is, you know, to try LinkedIn. You could try LinkedIn, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Instead of why didn't you try LinkedIn, which is uh, you know, you can hear it in my voice. It doesn't sound very good. <laughs> right, right. People are like, why don't you just be quiet? <laughs> <laughs> so we talked a little bit about the support groups for parents. What other resources do parents have if they, you know, they realize something's happening, they need more help than what they think they can do themselves? What else can they do to 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 get help for their children? Well, uh, definitely want to, if you start to see some of these signs, reach out to a clinician, reach out to a doctor, uh, a psychiatrist. I recommend psychiatrists only because general practitioners are great, uh, although they don't have a lot of experience with uh, mental illness and they don't really have a lot of, um, they might have taken a little bit of a rotation in their, in their uh, internship. And I think they may have only taken two classes on it in their in their schooling. What happens uh, sometimes is they might miss something that a psychiatrist would be uh, readily uh, identifiable to a psychiatrist. Like, for example, for me, and this is really important uh, for everybody to be aware of. For me, my general practitioner thought I had depression because I would go see her whenever I was depressed. I You don't go see a doctor when you're manic. If you have a choice in your life uh, when you're manic, you just don't go see a doctor. You just feel great. And the parents don't really take you to go see a doctor because you seem to be doing really well. 
But when you're depressed, you go. So the doctor sees the depression. The general practitioner may only see the depression and not look for signs of mania. And that's what happened to me. And they gave me an antidepressant. And the thing about an antidepressant, if you're bipolar, this is crazy, I know, is that an antidepressant, if you're not also treated for the bipolar, an antidepressant will make you manic and keep you manic for as long as you take it. And I took one for three years. Oh, wow. I was out of my mind manic for three years and I destroyed everything that I loved in my life. So what I always say is, is um, if, if, if you see depression, try to also understand, and there's um, great, um, there's the young mania scale, look that up on Google and look at the questions around mania first and see if they have any signs of mania. Is that and, young like J-U-N-G? Actually, no, it's or like, it young? It, yeah, Y-O-U-N-G, oh, okay. mania scale. And it has some great questions that would help you identify uh, whether or not your loved one has been exhibiting any signs of mania. And um, I can't really stress this enough. Uh, what what that happened? What happened in my life was just so destructive, and I and I hate to see anybody you know make that mistake. Um, the uh, you know a couple of other tell signs about mania are that they really are very now children by nature are pretty egocentric, mm-hmm. but but they. And and some of them have pretty grandiose ideas, but if they're almost all of their ideas are grandiose, all of their dreams are really stretch. Um, like I was going to be an astronaut, a senator. <clears throat> I was going to be a jet fighter pilot. <clears throat> I was going to be the greatest golfer in the world. Those are the things I talked about when I was a kid. I, I just couldn't settle for, I just want to be uh, a good golfer, you know, or even a professional golfer. I had to be the greatest golfer. Mm-hmm. And if you hear that, I want to be the greatest this or the greatest that. Uh, a lot of kids today talk about, I want to be the greatest YouTuber ever. Mm-hmm. Now that would be, that might be okay. But it may be if they say a lot of that kind of stuff, it may be grandiose. And, and grandiose thinking is a real hallmark sign of bipolar disorder. Wow. Yeah, those are those are really good signs, I think, to look for. Um, all right. Before I let you go now, once your child is in treatment and and you've gone to the psychiatrist, you've gone to the clinician, how do you sort of wrap around them to support them in their in their journey? Uh, this is where you want to be very careful um, between, um, well, this is where you want to be really careful. What I see uh, parents sometimes make a mistake is they get very over-involved. They get to come into the clinician, you know, with them to the doctor because they're young. Um, but there's a point in time when uh, the, the kids can choose not to have their parents go in and that happens more often than not and then all of a sudden the parents are completely out of the loop so what i always encourage parents to do 
is to say as little as possible when when your son or daughter is talking to their psychiatrist lend a little bit of information but not a lot um, if you're going to lend information you'll try to do it privately with the doctor but not in front of your son or daughter most importantly try not to uh, correct them i hear this often where the mom would say well he said that he hardly ever um you know uh, stays up late but i told the doctor in front of him that he does it all the time and i said well what was your son's reaction to that well he didn't talk to me all the way home and then when we got home he really let me have it and he hasn't talked to me in three days and he also said if he had a choice you'd never get to go see the doctor again with him so really honor that privilege to be in there and be very respectful of it and then you'll be able to get invited when he, he or she does have choice and it really is important to be able to go in all the mental illness is really determined by our self-reporting our symptoms to the doctor so if we don't tell the doctor enough things they can make a misdiagnosis and so it's great to have a mom or a dad or a loved one be able to come in and share some information but it, it's really good to do it in a partnership way with your loved one and um, i can't uh, stress that enough that how important that that conversation is to have it's also maybe a good idea to talk before you go to the appointment and try to help uh, your loved one identify issues that that ought to be brought up by the doc to the doctor you know just not embarrassing him or her or making them feel betrayed in the doctor's office is so critical Absolutely. Wow. Well, thank you. These are these are amazing ideas and um, support for people who are struggling because, a lot, again, a lot of times people just don't know what they don't know, right? They don't know how to help people um, when they're seeing them struggle, if it's their child or their spouse or their friend or whatever, right? Um, Bob, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate all of your tips and ideas and the coaching and your experience and sharing your own story uh, with the listeners. Um, how can people find out more about you well they can get uh you know they can look for when screams become whispers online it's everywhere or in bookstores it was just recently the number one book on or on um new releases on amazon in the bipolar category so it's out there or they can go to bob krulish k-r-u-l-i-s-h dot com learn about workshops that I do and other resources that I have for parents. Fantastic. I will make sure and have the link to your website in the show notes so that people can find you. Again, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate you coming on the show, Bob. So welcome. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This has been the Teaching Your Toddler podcast with Mary Jo Tinlin. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you'll find us on our website at www.teachingyourtoddler.com, as well as on Facebook at Teaching Your Toddler, on Instagram, and on Twitter at Teaching Toddler. So join us again, and I hope you have a wonderful week. Thank you so much.